Big 12 basketball, there are no nights off. We know that much. Uh, I'm Pete Mundo. Thanks for being here. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is how you find us covering the Big 12 Conference. We now welcome on and say good morning and good afternoon and good evening, depending on when you're listening, to our friend Matthew Postens, our lead Big 12 basketball writer, joining us here on the show as we do each and every week during hoop season. Uh, Matthew, let's just start off with the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Uh, the Big 12 won that 7-3. to It's the last ever Big 12 SEC Challenge. And you know what? I can't blame ESPN uh, for wanting to bail on their beloved SEC on this thing because for the most part, over 10 years, they got their butts kicked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Big 12 certainly um, certainly has the better record over the 10 years. Certainly, I think it ends up being like a... Five, three, and two overall record win, loss, and tie uh, over the ten-year period. But you know, we we also know why ESPN is doing this. Um, you know, they're now the exclusive rights holders to the SEC and to the ACC. They lost their foothold in the Big Ten, and you know, for the last couple decades, we've had the Big Twelve SEC Challenge and we've had the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And now that ESPN won't be in the Big Ten business anymore, they've obviously decided to consolidate their challenge to the sec and the acc and it's hard to blame them they can showcase the whole thing and and be happy with that um but i think the big 12 proved on saturday that um you know they're that right now they're in a better place as far as overall conference quality is concerned i mean when you think about the fact that the perceived four worst teams in the conference oklahoma state oklahoma west virginia and texas tech all won on saturday and two of them beat ranked teams to do it I think it tells you a lot about the depth of the conference as opposed to the SEC. Yeah, um, there is no doubt that when you look at that Big 12 SEC challenge and you've got teams like West Virginia beating Auburn, Oklahoma beating Alabama, those are not flukes, Matthew. Now, what I wonder is what it means for the NCAA tournament. The latest Joe Lenardi bracketology still had uh, three Big 12 teams on the outside looking in. So that is still something that may be a bit of a challenge for the league. I think eight is is expected at this point, especially after you look at what happened on Wednesday night. Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma, and Oklahoma was the last Big 12 team in, per already earlier this week. So are we looking at eight right now? And if West Virginia picks it up, possibly nine? I'd put my money on eight right now, and I think – um, Oklahoma State has really helped themselves the past couple of weeks. It, it's really interesting because uh, they put Woody Newton in their starting lineup, and I, I doubt most Big 12 fans outside of Stillwater know who Woody Newton is. He's a transfer who got to Oklahoma State a couple of years ago, hasn't played a whole lot, had to miss a chunk of the season due to a family issue, came back, and Mike Boynton put him in the starting lineup five games ago, and they're 4-1. and one. And I mean – He's had a couple of games where he's hit double figures. He's had a couple of games where he's had double-digit rebounds. But for whatever reason, this particular move has coalesced things around that offense. And there, there are other factors, too. Avery Anderson III is playing better. Uh, Musa Cisse is finally – he seems to finally be over that ankle injury he suffered a month ago. But it's funny how you stick one person in a starting lineup and, and everything just kind of clips and changes and adjusts a little bit for the better. You know, Oklahoma State, to me, right now feels like that – you know, quote-unquote eighth team, as long as West Virginia holds firm. It's funny about West Virginia. They lost to TCU uh, in the first part of the week, and they still didn't drop out of the bracketology. Their their resume at this point, even though they've only won a couple of conference games, is so well-respected because of their net rating. And that's the thing that's going to keep everybody in this conference afloat when it comes to the NCAA tournament marches. Everybody's net rating, with the exception of Texas Tech, is around – 
inside the top 50 or 60. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, that, that is absolutely true. I mean, I even look at Texas Tech, and we even talked about them, but if I'm a Texas Tech fan, I'm not sitting here thinking, like, there's no chance. I mean, just because every single night you have an opportunity for a quality win in this conference. I mean, looking mm-hmm. at the net ratings right now, You've got Tech at 65. That's the worst. Oklahoma's at uh, 58, it looks like. And then the rest of the league is inside the top 40. And, you know, half the league's inside the top 20. So it's just, it's unbelievable. But I look at Tech and I say, okay, they beat LSU. They beat Iowa State. If they, you know, they've got three of their next four games against ranked teams at Baylor, at Oklahoma State versus K-State versus Texas. If they split those games, Matthew, I, you know, Texas Tech is like we're in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And the and the thing about it is every game in this conference is a quad one or a quad two game. And what that basically means is it's within the top 75 of net. If you win a game on the road against a quad one team, that means a little bit more than beating a quad one team at home, which is what Texas Tech did to Iowa State earlier in the week. So Let's just say in your scenario, if they split those two games, let's just go. Let's just say they split against, they beat Baylor at home on the road, and they beat Texas at home. Mm-hmm. That's going to mean a lot to them uh, because you know the net ratings at this point in the season they're not going to change that much. I mean, Tech was a Tech was in the seventies before they beat Iowa State, so now they've you've seen their net rating jump up, but they had a lot of ground to make up. The rest of the conference, their net ratings are not going to change that much because. Everybody's in the same boat when it comes to being a, either a, a you know top seventy-five in the net. So um, Tech can help themselves with you know just three or four wins down the line, and being a you know sixteen, seventeen win team going into the Big Twelve tournament. If you get on the right run in Kansas City and get to eighteen or nineteen wins, it puts you in a position to maybe sneak into the tournament. As it should, uh, based on how this league has gone. Did you see, um, I don't know if you saw this, I don't want to put you on the spot, but the New York Times had a big piece on the Big 12. I just saw this this morning. It says here, the headline from the New York Times, best conference in men's college basketball, question mark, the Big 12. It says the conference is thriving on its depth. Eight or nine teams in the 10-team Big 12 are playing at a high level. Uh, you know, I don't know if a guy like Brett Yormark is able to get the New York Times to pay attention to what's happening here in this conference, but it is a welcome sight to see when mm-hmm. the New York Times is writing pieces about how great the Big 12 is in basketball. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, when you think about you – know, I was watching the – was a Texas-Baylor game on Monday night because Fran was doing that game, and mm-hmm. uh, they were talking about the Big 12 and the quality, and Fran said that the only other conference that he could think of where the quality was that good for a sustained period of time was, uh, I think he said, I want to say he said the ACC back in the 80s. Um, but, I mean, when you think about the ACC back in the 80s, you think about the Big East back in the 80s, you think about, um, you know, the SEC had a high quality in the in the 90s. The Big Ten, you know, 10 years ago had a, a high quality across the board before it expanded. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's hard to be a quality conference for a sustained period of time like the Big 12 has done the last three or four years. And they've really built it on, you know, putting defense first. You mm-hmm. know, all these teams in this conference play great defense. They have great coaches across the board. And they they recruit and develop great players. You look at the fact that this is still kind of an old conference just in terms of, you know, veteran players, Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller, um, Kevin O'Banner. Uh, you know, you look at the players that are really playing roles with all these teams that are in the top 25, most of them are third or fourth year guys. Some of them are fifth year guys. 
and they've taken a long time to develop, and, and these teams are reaping the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they certainly are. And, you know, I think it's hard to compare how good is the Big 12 today to, let's say, the Big East in the 80s when you think about, uh, you know, that Final Four, what, 85, where you had Villanova, St. John's, and Georgetown, or the ACC, as Fran mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, because they'll say, well, look at all the NBA guys on those teams. That's not what college basketball is today. It's a global sport. I mean, you know, you just don't have, it's not just American kids going to the NBA draft. You've got now 24-year-old guys playing college basketball on their sixth years of eligibility. So the college game has changed, but that should not take away from what the Big 12 is doing and the depth that it currently has. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you think back to the 70s when you know Pete Maravich played uh, LSU. He couldn't play his freshman year. Freshmen yeah. were still barred from playing. Uh, Lou Alcindor, now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he couldn't play his freshman year. So the game changes through eras, and it evolves. And, yeah, it's a it's a different game now. You have foreign players who now come to college over here in the U.S. You know, instead of going straight to pro basketball. So um, it, it's, it's a different type of game. Mm-hmm. It maybe isn't as highly skilled a game as it was back in the 80s, but it's still a lot of fun to watch, and the Big 12 plays it at a high level every single night. What do you think, Matthew, before we talk about this weekend, um, the reports from CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd about Gonzaga. I'm a hard pass on Gonzaga and the Big 12 because the money's just not there with basketball like it is with football, and we know that. And, you know, getting to Spokane, Washington is difficult, never mind on a Tuesday night for a basketball game. And on top of that, too, Matthew, like, honestly, I think that Gonzaga is Gonzaga because they've been in the West Coast Conference. Like, I, Gonzaga comes to the Big 12. What do they do? They go 10-8, and eight, and then they're, you know, a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament, and then their path to Final Fours are far more difficult, and they're just not Gonzaga anymore. I know your Mark loves basketball. I get what he's going for here. I just don't see it making sense. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I, I feel like, you know, I've been pro-Gonzaga, uh, to be fair. No, no, and, and uh, please I make think, the case. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm all I, about I, hearing it. I, I think, yes, they play in the West Coast Conference, and the West Coast Conference is not the Big 12. But they're a national program. They can recruit anywhere in the country that they want to. And when you're a national program, you can pull a guy like Drew Timmy, who is basically from my backyard here in Richardson Pierce High School in Richardson, Texas. You can pull guys from across the country, which is what the Big 12 can do right now. They can recruit anywhere they want to. Uh, Yeah, the travel's a concern. Uh, The money Dodd pointed out in that piece that I think basketball makes up about 20% of the revenue. You can't share, you can't give Gonzaga a full revenue share. But I think there are, things to be worked out there because I think ESPN would love the ability to show Gonzaga playing Baylor, Gonzaga playing Tech, Gonzaga playing um, uh, Kansas. I think I'd love to have those games uh, as a regular piece of their schedule. And Fox would too. And remember, Fox doesn't have a piece of the basketball contract right now. And they don't have a piece of Gonzaga either because Gonzaga's deal is with ESPN and with um, CBS. Mm -hmm. So, Fox would love to have a piece of that too. I think, yeah, I think they'd probably take a bit of a step back, you know, maybe 10 and eight in the conference. The first couple of years is a reasonable assumption to make, but I think over time, given the opportunity to play those kinds of teams on a regular basis, um, I think they could be a quality member of the conference. And, and remember they, they play a very difficult non-conference schedule in part because they know their conference schedule outside of you know, St. Mary's and a couple of other schools isn't that challenging. 
So you'll see them flip their schedule in a way like more Big 12 teams do where they play two or three really good teams and then play a, a you know several kind of, I don't want to say cake teams, but mid-majors and low-majors mm-hmm. to kind of get themselves ready for the Big 12. So I think ultimately they would be a good fit for the conference from a basketball standpoint. I know it's weird having a basketball-only team in a Power 5 conference. It doesn't happen in the Power 5, but I think if there's any one team you go for that only plays basketball – that's the program you go for. Why, and and feel free to challenge me on this, my other issue here is we saw the old Big East collapse because there was this separation between the pro football schools and the pro basketball schools where, you know, the priorities are just not the same. Why bother opening up that door, number one? And number two, is Gonzaga Gonzaga without Mark Few? I'm not convinced it is. Villanova's struggling this year. One year out of having Jay Wright lead him to a Final Four. Like, how much of Gonzaga basketball is defined by Mark Few? And if, God forbid, something happens, he goes somewhere, whatever, it's like just a mid-major program. Yeah, so that's fair. So, number one, I think everybody learned from what happened in the Big East. At least I hope everybody learned what happened in the Big East. I think that if they're looking for a basketball-only program in the Big 12, I think they're targeting it to one school. And to me... Gonzaga is the only school that fits the profile. There's no other mid-major school to me that doesn't play football that fits if you're trying to add them to a Big East or to a Pac-12 or to a Big 12. I, I think they're the only one on the board. So I think that, to me, that if I'm Brett Yormark, that's as far as it goes. I don't want to expand to any more basketball-only schools at that point because I'm still hoping to get some Pac-12 schools at some point. Yeah. To the, to the second piece, um, you know, Dodd's report was very interesting because it said Mark Few may be the guy that decides whether they go yes. to the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or not. So he'll have a lot of say. And he's in his, I want to say he's in his late 50s now at this point. So he, he could coach another 10, 12 years and groom somebody to be his replacement. Um, there's always that risk. I mean, you think about North Carolina. They had Dean Smith for a long time. He handed the program to Bill Guthridge. Guthridge maintained that standard. They handed the program to Matt Doherty, and the program fell off before they brought in Maury Williams. So there's always some risk when you have a coach that is so associated with a particular program when they leave. But I think most athletic directors will tell you that if it had a long time, coaches had a long run of success, they know it's difficult, but they'll take the risk of, of transitioning to a new coach because, you know, with a school like Villanova, you know, I think they feel I, I feel good about Colin Epson. I know they're not playing up to the standard that they were playing under with Jay Wright, but you know, Kyle Neptune's the kind of coach that I think can get them back there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is risk there, but ultimately, I think if you're Gonzaga and the deal is right, you take that risk. And if, I think the thing goes with the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. Matthew, uh, looking ahead to this weekend and uh, the games, I mean, you've got Iowa State hosting Kansas. They played a great game a couple of weeks back in Allen Fieldhouse. This one's up in Ames. Actually, it made ESPN. How about that? Shocker. Not on ESPN+. Plus. There's a minor miracle. Uh, you've got a top-10 matchup in Manhattan uh, on ESPN2, Texas on the road against Kansas State. And then yeah, arguably the most intriguing game is Oklahoma-West Virginia. The winner feels a lot better about their tournament odds. The loser, not feeling yeah. as good. So uh, what game do you are you most intrigued by this weekend? Um, I'm intrigued to see how Kansas State bounces back from that loss to Kansas, um, you know, especially with Texas coming in and the way Texas plays defense. Texas is a better defensive team, 
um, than Kansas is. In fact, I think if you're talking, if you're ranking defensive teams in the conference, I think overall you're looking at Texas, um, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. You can rank those three teams however you want, but I think those are the three teams that play the best defense in the conference. Um, I think they're going to. I think they've got a bit of a mismatch problem with Keontae Johnson, um, just because they don't have anybody built like him that can defend him, you know, on a, on a consistent basis. Uh, at the same time, you know, you know, Marquise Noel and Marcus Carr they present a matchup problem because of Noel's size. So I think that's a really interesting game. I think you know we're kind of at the point with Kansas State where we're halfway through the Big Twelve slate everybody realizes, okay, this isn't just a Cinderella story of a team mm-hmm. that starts conference play with two or three wins. This is a this is a team that has a high level of talent and can sustain it into March. That that starts to make things harder for a team like Kansas State. And you saw how that attrition kind of hit Iowa State as we got into this point in the season last year. They went from being Cinderella to being somebody with a target on their back. And they took some hits before they got into the tournament and got to the Sweet 16. So I'm really interested to see how Kansas State bounces back from that loss to Kansas and see if they can handle having the target on their back in the back half of the Big 12 schedule. Yeah, uh, that is going to be a really good storyline to watch. Matthew Postens is our guest on heartlandcollegesports.com. Matthew, I I think it's always fun to ask you this every single week, so I think we'll do it through the end of the season. Who right now is the best basketball team in the Big 12 Conference, fill in the blank. <laughs> well, that's the fun part about this conference is the answer almost changes every week um, because everybody is so good and everybody is you know, playing at such a high level. I think last week you asked me that question, and I said Iowa State, and Iowa State goes out and loses to Missouri and then loses to Texas Tech. And I, I still think they're a high-quality team, but I don't, I don't think I can choose Iowa State after two straight losses. You know, I, I think I'm going to have to say Kansas. You know, I know they had that trough, uh, three straight losses in conference play, but they go to Kentucky and they kind of get right, and then they get home to Allen Fieldhouse, and they, they kind of dominate Kansas State just in terms of the way that the, once they got the lead in that game, they held on to it. They didn't really give it back. They didn't allow Kansas State to really make, you know, a significant run at them in the second half of the game. You know, you, I could start to see – the two things I was encouraged by in that game for Kansas was, number one, Kevin McCullough had a double-double for the third straight game. They need him to produce at that kind of level the rest of the season in order to make a deep run in March. Second, Bill Self finally trusted his bench a little bit, got mm-hmm. some of those guys in the game, and they gave him good minutes. They played nine players in that game, and all nine of them scored. If they can start trusting that depth a little bit more in the back half of the schedule, I think you're going to start seeing them gather momentum uh, going into March. But I think right now, just in the small sample size between when we talked last Thursday and, and now, Kansas is the best team in the conference right now. All right. Going with the Jayhawks, Matthew Postens. Matthew, thanks for being here, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right, you bet. Always good to have him on, Matthew Postens. I'm Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com. Hey, before you leave, could you do me a solid? Just leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And um, if you want, I'll hook you up with a Heartland College Sports koozie. I got boxes of them all over the house, so I got them here for you. When you leave that rating and review and send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. And the reason I do that is because that helps us and this show grow. So thank you ahead of time for doing that, taking 30 seconds out of your day. And helping us continue as the number one Big 12 podcast and digital media outlet out there. It's because of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care.